Howdy, folks. Just a few housekeeping items before we get the episode started. First, as usual, we like to note that the podcast is now supported by the American Prospect magazine. So if you uh, subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get a uh, free digital subscription to the, to the website, as well as a heavily discounted uh, print subscription if you want it. Secondly, just a reminder that my book is still out. Uh, how are you going to pay for that? Available on any fine uh, bookstores or websites, as well as Audible, if you like. But that's it for now. Without further ado, let's get started with our guest, Jeff Hauser. Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. We have on the program Jeff Hauser, who uh, is... is the the I believe the head honcho of the Revolving Door Project, but actually, why don't you introduce yourself, Jeff, so I don't mutilate your uh, title and, and background. Sure. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I am a reformed lawyer who got his start thinking he was going to be a do-gooder lawyer, went to the Department of Justice, thinking I'd be working for President Al Gore. That didn't quite work out, despite some litigation that I got involved in while I should have been studying for finals in my first year <laughs> of law school. Um, and so I've been trying to make some good trouble for the last 19 years, and I founded the Revolving Door Project in 2015, hoping to help clean up the Department of Justice and the rest of the executive branch. Yeah, and so um, maybe to th – th this is a – I feel like in – you know, an organization, an organizational mission that sounds fairly anodyne. Okay, we're cleaning up the Department of Justice, but uh, is actually kind of like vital to basic, like the functioning of democracy at this point. And um, a lot of, you know, you, you've sent over a number of articles for us, for us to read, uh, some of them on the American Prospect, you know, the magazine that we all know and love. Uh, and you know, a lot of it is, is has to do with something called institutionalism. So to sort of dip our toe into what, you know, like the the thing that the things that you're sort of trying to reform, what is institutionalism? So institutionalism seems to be the belief that the institution of the Department of Justice is not only a good thing, it is a continuous ongoing good thing and that it doesn't change the, uh, regardless of who is the president of the United States. And I mean, there's a lot of ostrich-like thinking in which you reject any close examination of what happened under Jeff Sessions or Bill Barr at the Department of Justice, and instead say, look, we need a Department of Justice that believes in the rule of law to be the United States. We are the United States. Ergo, we must have the Department of Justice that we need. And so there must be continuity in the, how the institution is run. We should not see sharp changes every four or eight or 12 years or however many years there are between partisan switches. The institution should remain the same. And so there should be a great deal of deference to the decisions that were reached over the last four years and no sharp change in priorities. And that has basically been the Garland approach with the exception of those areas in which progressives have enough political capital to make that sort of status quo anti-continuation unpalatable, which is 
for the most part, civil rights and antitrust. So yeah. it's like a, a bit of a stare decisis, but for the Justice Department? <laughs> it's a stare decisis uh, at the Justice Department, but it's like on the Supreme Court, a one-way ratchet in which That's right. you don't yeah. see any of that sort of deference being displayed when Barr and Sessions are attorney general. Uh, and honestly, we didn't see any of that under the Bush administration. So it's not like we have any reason in the 21st century to believe that Republicans will run the Department of Justice with any sense of honor. Yeah, yeah, actually, I didn't plan on asking about this, but can you go into that a little bit? Um, You know, what uh, Jeff Sessions and and Bill Barr did, you know, and the ways in which they flagrantly disregarded, you know, previous precedent. And in fact, I would, you know, I, I, I think you would probably agree the actual letter of the law of the United States. Oh, yeah. I mean, so they saw their role as protecting uh, Donald Trump. Uh, The one exception was when Jeff Sessions got shamed uh, into recusing himself on what became the Mueller investigation, which was a momentous and incongruous moment for Jeff Sessions, the one uh, moment of a modicum of integrity in his life. But Jeff Sessions came in in 2017 and ripped apart the civil rights division and the litigation positions were changed. The prosecutorial priorities were shifted and the Department of Justice's civil rights division completely swung away from where it had been under Barack Obama. Uh, That didn't surprise anyone who's aware of Jeff Sessions' uh, legal career or his career in the Senate, but it was still a a stark uh, reversal of posture. Um, And the environmental division of the Justice Department stopped taking pro-regulatory positions. Um, And there was a sharp reduction in white-collar criminal enforcement. And that took some work because the Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch Justice Department was not known for vigorously enforcing laws against Wall Street and other corporate criminals. And yet, Sessions and Barr managed to radically reduce uh, white collar prosecutions below the level of the Obama administration. And so, and that gets, that's before you get to the weird legal positions taken to protect Donald Trump and his unique uh, criminal behavior. So we both saw Donald Trump, the man and the right wing agenda were served well above any notion of continuity and institutionalism by Sessions and Barr. Yeah, so so I guess it's important to emphasize I when we're talking about institutionalism it's entirely on one side of of the aisle. Democrats believe in it, Republicans don't by and large, you know, like like you can point to like little exceptions here and there, you know, like like Bush's uh prosecution of the Enron executives in the early 2000s, but like by the time you get to Donald Trump, you know, it's like it's a totally totally farcical you know idea and this you know maybe brings us to um the state of the january 6 prosecutions right so the so the the department of justice and the fbi are are sort of like running this right and um they've brought a whole bunch of charges for a long time uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. They were real resistant to bringing anything that involved like political crimes, um, seditious conspiracy, 
or rebellion or insurrection fairly recently, I think within like the last couple of months, they have uh, filed a number of those, but not against any of what I would say are the principal organizers of the January 6th push. Most, you know, notoriously Donald Trump, uh, a guy who, you know, leveraged his power as president in plain sight to try to reinstall himself, you know, in power. Um, So can you like, I don't know, maybe like just sort of give us a, a, a an overview of the January 6th situation from the, the point of view of the Department of Justice. And, and why do you do you think that that Garland has been so, you know, as foot dragging on this question? Um, I would start off by saying that we know very little about the full breadth of the Department of Justice's approach to January 6th. And part of that is due to a kind of shocking lack of public disclosure or just big picture investigative results being shared with the media or with Congress. Uh, Generally in uh, cases where the public interest is great, you will see the attorney general and your lead prosecutors often briefing uh, the press. Um, Garland, as I believe, he gave one big speech on January 6th Uh, within roughly the last six weeks or so. It may have been pretty close to the anniversary or uh, or at least of his uh, one year in office for Biden and Garland. Um, But that's about it. And Chris Wray, the Trump FBI director, who is still running the FBI. Remember when Trump uh, fired Jim Comey to cover his ass? Well, he installed Chris Wray. Chris Ray remains the FBI director. So that's something we are not fans of at Revolving Door Project. But there is an unbelievable lack of public answers and just statements of like, where is the investigation at? And there obviously are limits on how much uh, prosecutors can discuss openly. But in the past, including when Merrick Garland did the Oklahoma City bombing case uh, during the Clinton administration, he led that prosecution the press was generally kept more in the loop than has been the case here. So, I mean, there are a few things we can glean. One, there are a lot of prosecutorial resources being thrown at this issue. In fact, it's like almost too many prosecutorial resources because this is all being run out of the District of Columbia's U.S. Attorney's Office, and there are a finite number of people there. And there is a high volume of cases right now. Uh, So, Like the low-level people, they're definitely being pursued aggressively. How aggressively? I mean, some judges think that the Department of Justice is seeking way too low of sentences, and we're seeing sometimes judges going in above the recommendations from the prosecutors. If this was part of an overall rethinking of tough-on-crime policies by the Department of Justice, you know, I might be a little more sympathetic to it, but if it's only a, you know, predominantly white right-wing Nat, ethno-nationalists are the one people who get mercy, not so cool. Um, how far up they're going to go? I mean, the people who are optimistic, and there's some smart people like a Marcy Wheeler, uh, emptywheel.net, she thinks they're building this case, these cases meticulously. And unlike some of the Trump cases where you have a five-year statute of limitations, which is beginning to lapse, where you need to, uh, you need to bring a case or you'll never be able to bring a case, there's plenty of time left to go after the big uh, fish, to go after Trump and the key organizers. 
So you can choose to be optimistic. I am not optimistic based off of just the overall approach of the Garland Justice Department, but there is a little bit that is unknowable in this. But the fact that they there are no indications that they are picking up the Mueller obstruction of justice case, which was pretty much a gift-wrapped prosecution provided by the Mueller team. And there are no indications of bringing that up. And some of the elements in that case are literally beginning to expire in terms of the ability for them those what seem to be transgressions to ever be prosecuted, because a lot of them come with a five-year statute of limitations. So crimes that Trump was committing in 2017, like, you know, we are now never going to be able to hold him accountable for those crimes. There are some exceptions when there's ongoing crimes that lasted past 2017, so the statute won't lapse. But I don't know. Overall, I'm pessimistic about what Garland's going to do on January 6th, but I am aware that I can't know that for certain. I was just going to say it's a, it's a weird thing if um, if institutionalism is the reason, right? Because uh, you know the the assault on the Capitol, you would think this would be a threat to our institutions, right? This would be the very thing that an institutionalist would want to ensure doesn't happen again, uh, because it's literally an attack on the legitimacy of our institutions. But uh, is there any more evidence or, or of of why, in fact? Uh, or whether it's it's a lack of courage or or you know what's what's behind this because it doesn't seem like like just the the identity uh, of an institutionalist and the, the belief in, in stability and order and so forth uh, makes much sense in this regard, right? I mean, you know, there are two competing schools of thought. One is that it's the case of a, a country with problematic rule of law and a shaky democracy if former presidents are prosecuted. It's the other school of thought that you're a shaky country with problematic rule of law if your president does things which warrant prosecution. And obviously (laughs) I'm more in the camp of like, don't have presidents who commit crimes is the the top goal. And if you want to deter crime, I mean, it's just ironic. I mean, Merrick Garland is not a progressive on criminal justice reform. This is not a bleeding heart, full of mercy fellow who is just equally um, uh, quote unquote, soft on crime with respect to everyone. Uh, so we're in a situation in which I, I think Garland just really thinks the appearances of un- going against the illusion of continuity at the Department of Justice and going against the illusion that America is a functioning democracy would hasten its decline. And I think that we're past uh, illusion maintenance. The country is far too disenchanted and far too cynical. Uh, and honestly, it's been moving that direction ever since Watergate uh, or Vietnam, however you want to exactly time the modern era of disenchantment. When I'm reading about these you know, arguments, I remember reading an article in Lawfare about how like, oh, geez, it's it's uh, it's so unseemly to think about the president being prosecuted for having committed crimes. You know, that's the thing that happens in banana republics. Um, I forget who wrote it. It was some law professor. And I, I'm just like, this argument makes no sense. Like, 
if the president did a crime, then it is like definitionally an undermining of the rule of law to let him get away with it. I mean, that is banana republic stuff. That is Vladimir Putin shit. The the, no, it, the dictator. Exactly right. Ryan, it literally makes no sense unless you take the position like Nixon did that if if it's the president, it can't be illegal what they do. Right. Like unless you think that I am above the law or I am the law. Right. Like that's a position you could take that has some internal consistency, at least, even though it goes yeah. against the very founding principles of the country. But if you don't think that's true, if you think that even the president uh, as a public servant is accountable and not above the law, then that second position, right, that you shouldn't go after them after the presidency. Right. Makes no sense. It's just not tenable at all. Uh, there's only like a modicum of an argument for while they're holding office, that impeachment should be the only way because it's a political process or something, right? It feels like a kind of chauvinism, I think. It's sort of like, this is America. America is good. America doesn't have a sort of like, uh, you know, const like horrible political controversial prosecutions where like the top leaders, the presidents get thrown in jail for just grubby, horrible crimes. Like that's, that's uh, that's gross. That's like South we're Africa. Not like the, we're not like those dirty countries that we actually overthrow and destabilize. Right. So, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, I lived in South Africa for two years, South Africa recently imprisoned uh, its former president, Jacob Zuma for blatant corruption, though it wasn't anywhere near as blatant as what Trump did. Trump had a big bribes here hotel. Hell, uh, on government property in Washington, D.C., and people rented out blocks of rooms to just put money directly in his pocket in direct violation of the United States Constitution, which says that foreign governments and, and state officials can't do that. And we're just like, well, uh, it would be unseemly, you know, and it strikes me as just this incredible uh, you know, uh, a lack of the, this this chauvinism and American exceptionalism, like ideology, that like, no, this can't. America is the best country in the world, and we can't possibly have this sort of thing. And so, if it does happen, then we have to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not happening, just like in Watergate, right? I mean, that seems to be kind of the substance of the of the like the the institutionalism thing. Is it just sort of like the liberals have to pretend like everything is fine? Yes. I mean, Gerald Ford's decision to pardon Richard Nixon is definitely one of the original sins of modern America. Um, but at least at that point, Trump had, I'm sorry, Nixon had, and it's obviously a uh, very Freudian slip when everyone <laughs> uh, mistakes Trump and Nixon and Roger Stone is not all that they have in common. Uh, when Nick, Nixon did have to resign, like he resigned with more than two years left of his presidency. So right. while, yes, he is a man who should have seen the inside of a prison cell, nonetheless, it's hard to say he was not uh, held to some degree of account that is much greater and more satisfying. Uh, and, and the bluff, the notion that we're going to convince anyone that we're actually successfully sweeping this under the rug, who on the planet is of the opinion, yep, that Trump guy never went to prison, never even prosecuted, totally clean America. <laughs> what a way to freak on leaders. I, I right, it's not a, what country they think is buying that crap. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's totally preposterous, but that seems to be like the thinking, you know, or like what people have sort of in their minds. It's that or, and this was the other explanation I was going to bring up, just absolute abject mewling cowardice where it's like, oh, God, it's going to be really controversial if I file charges and put the former president in jail. 
let's just uh, uh, run the clock out on all these crimes and then um, I can go back to working for a white shoe law firm, live out my yeah. days in peace and, uh, you know, move to New Zealand when it all hits the fan. Th- that's what you, you know, that's what you want in the top attorney in the country, the head of the Justice Department is somebody who wants to keep their head down and not get into <laughs> battles. <laughs> I think one thing I remember teammates and I, I, I will break a cardinal rule and actually invoke college debate, but we were extremely uh, cynical about what we called the five deadly ops. And those were just kind of arguments you could make when you just need to come up with an argument. And one of them is the slippery slope. And it is amazing yeah. how many people think it is an intellectually compelling argument to say, well, if we do this, then they might do that. First off, the Republican Party does not believe in slippery slope thinking. The Republican Party does what the Republican Party needs to do. The Republican Party, like Mitch McConnell doesn't say, oh, I can obstruct because, uh, you know, Harry Reid changed Senate rules so that Democrats could actually nominate people to the D.C. Circuit, which did not seem to be against the Constitution as interpreted by Mitch McConnell uh, or the CFPB should have a appointed head. Like these are things McConnell you know, obstructed. Reed took measures, the quote unquote nuclear option in 2013. And, you know, conservatives will say, oh, everything Mitch McConnell has ever done since is because Harry Reid was mean once. Or they'll yes, M- M- Mitch McConnell, Moore. classic norms respecter, right? Like, like just that's the if Republicans for Democrats you. Democrats had not opposed Robert Bork, who was nuts. He was intellectually dishonest and crazy. And I'm not sure which was more problematic. But that because Democrats oppose that hateful person, like everything else is like flows. It is not the case that what Democrats do causes Republicans to do things. So if you were to believe, oh, so it would be bad if Joe Biden were really prosecuted. uh, And like my view is like, please don't commit any crimes. Like, and if he didn't, it would be bad. And if he did, it would be warranted. And if you're like, well, if you go after Trump, they're going to go after Biden. Does anyone think they almost went after Hillary for email retention? And like yeah. one thing, Lock you, her up. like we learned that Donald Trump was flushing to- documents down the toilet. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that guy who like gave how many speeches about the importance of document retention and like carefully critiqued. Hillary and others document retentions many times through his presidency. And then so obviously I knowingly when he destroyed documents or brought them with him to Mar-a-Lago and the like, he knew very much what he was doing, which demonstrates criminal intent because he had full knowledge of what he was doing. You know what's great, uh, uh, Jeff, about the, the, the bathroom toilet method, by the way, is great because hackers can't get there's no password protection issue there. You just flush it and they can't get it. So that's a beautiful genius, genius, classic Trump genius move. I, he, yes, he, he hacked the hackers. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I, I think if you don't want to see Democrats get prosecuted by Republicans when they lose the power, I don't think there's a foolproof solution to this. Like, no. there just isn't. They're it's politics. Like, you got to do politics. Got to do it. Yeah. If right? Ted Cruz is Ron DeSantis's attorney general, will Ted Cruz pursue political crimes and political prosecutions against Democrats? Yes. Yeah. Is that the case if Biden goes out and Garland go after Trump? Yes. Is it the case if they yeah. don't go after Trump? Yes. Right. 
Yeah. So at least put up a fight. At least be in the game. Don't just roll over, right? Just do it. You are politicizing justice when you say that somebody, because they are a politician, is above the law. That is what politicizing justice means. Giving somebody unequal justice due to their power. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.